On a day where the Mavericks news could not keep coming, the Dallas Mavericks have continued to make some news. And we got a newsmaker with us, Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report. We'll get into him, talk to him about Donnie Nelson, Kristaps Porzingis, Rick Carlisle to the box, question mark, Masai Ujiri with the Mavericks. Who knows what's coming up? We'll talk about it all on today's Lockdown Mavs. I'm Luka Doncic, and this is Lockdown Mavericks Podcast. I'm not going to lie to you, I've had no sleep, um, and I'm working till 10 tonight. And welcome, you are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, media member and coordinator for the Locked On Podcast Network, and joining me, as always, my co-host, contributor at Mavs.com. The Donnie Nelson nerd, the one more thing king. What you got for me, Isaac Harris? Oh man, it's not about what I have. We are so excited to have Jake Fisher join us on the pod. Whether it's reporting news for Bleacher Report, he just put out a brand new book called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Has Changed the League. But this is also like a crazy day. Like (laughs) Donnie Nelson's out for the Mavericks. So what a time for Jake to join us. Yeah, absolutely. C- crazy time. Jake, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later, and I'm sure we have one. Uh, I think that'll bring us enjoyment, I guess. Brought some people enjoyment today. Uh, all right, Jake Fisher, like Isaac said, Bleacher Report, the new book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake Fisher, has the league changed forever today also? Like, it just seems like every day there's a new, like, League, league-wide changing thing. You know, for a while, talking to people around the league, there was one executive that I text with and talked to on the phone pretty regularly who kept saying, you know, everything is happening, but nothing is happening. And everything finally <laughs> doubled to the surface today. There was definitely talks about Stan Van potentially being out in, in New Orleans for a while, the Scott Brooks thing. You know, people were wondering whether that was going to get finalized. Obviously, Kawhi and, uh, you know, Chris Paul's injuries – you know, no one expected that, but even Donnie Nelson leaving, I didn't expect him to get, you know, to, you know, mutually part ways today, but there's definitely been talk about that power struggle that Tim Cato at the athletic, you know, brought to light earlier this week for, for months dating back to the trade deadline. So that wasn't entirely, you know, shocking either, even though the, the timing was. Jake, could you, could you shed more light on that situation? I know we had Cato wrote the piece, you know, earlier in the week, but, yeah, just like I know you just said that you've been hearing it for months. Like who who have you like what have you heard about Haralabob and just the Mavs front office just over these past few months? You reported we're gonna talk about later on about Porzinga stuff and Rick stuff recently, but yeah, just what have you heard about that situation? Back around the trade deadline, talking to executives from other teams, there definitely started to be a theme of we don't really know who's calling the shots in Dallas right now. Is it Donnie? Is it Haralabob? You know, Michael Finley's name has even been brought up a lot as like, is he gaining a little bit more power now internally? Um, again, this is all just what people are, are speculating and talking about. But when everyone is starting to say that, that's when your ears start to perk up. And that's when, you know, someone like Tim, who actually is, is more connected with that team, obviously, than most, can actually go and find out more details. But, I mean, definitely have heard widespread that there's a rift between Luca and Haralabob. Obviously, that was the centerpiece of Tim's story. Um, 
I was told that that Rick um, was the driving force to, to push for her alibi not to be with the team anymore on the road, as Tim reported. But I, I think he left that detail that it was a, a Carlisle decision to try to force that. I think that was partially due to Rick trying to do what he can to, you know, alleviate the tensions that are clearly existing elsewhere in that franchise too. There's obviously, as Tim wrote, and there, there were some expectations that Carlisle might not return this year, being that just for what it is, forget about the rumors. They haven't made, they haven't advanced past the first round since 2011. So at a certain point, while on one hand, and as Cuban came out very staunch and supportive, Rick, like there's a long-standing belief that he's the guy there until he's not. But like maybe he will be at a certain point. So there's been a lot of speculation about turmoil within that franchise, kind of stemming around Luca for a couple months now. It's really interesting. We heard conflicting reports. You know, from I think Mark Spears had a report. Woj had another report, which is hilarious because that's on the same network. Of like, Luca cared about Donnie Nelson leaving. Luca doesn't care about about Donnie yeah. Nelson leaving, uh, and it'll just continue. And it seems like that relationship is is set in stone, but. Uh, I, what are your thoughts just on Haralaba getting so much power all of a sudden now? Donnie Nelson, who's been a, a, a staple in this franchise from the outside, kind of looking in. What are your thoughts on the power struggle, all of that, and seeing now uh, where this franchise is? With this is a pivotal offseason for the Mavericks with with Luca and what is Porzingis going to be and all that. One thing I will say, and I don't want to speak to the sourcing of the story necessarily, but I do. I, I mean, just talking to people in the league today, there's a very big consideration amongst people in the league. I, I'm not saying this is true, but people definitely in the league think that Donnie Nelson leaked all that material to Tim. And I think that's probably the case with Cuban and Bob, too. They probably think it as well. So, I mean, I, I really do, not to give Tim too much credit, but I really do think that that story played a huge factor in expediting this. But I also think we were heading down this direction anyway. I mean, look at... You know, not to be too much of a shill, but look at my book where you know <laughs> didn't get fired in Philadelphia, but they were there for months trying to bring in the concept of a, a co-GM and a shared power structure, which never works in this NBA. That that would be virtually unheard of to have two people have pretty much equal say at the top of a franchise. So they pushed him out. I think I'm not saying that Dallas was actively doing that, but the way this this, this situation was structuring and, and was you know progressing, I think the writing was on the wall for Donnie at a certain point. Maybe not wasn't coming this week, but it's, it seemed like he was losing his grasp on his agency at the top of that decision tree. So going, you know, when you reported the KP stuff around the you know trade deadline, even you know obviously nothing happened. He's still on the team. We've seen how it played out in the playoffs. Now with a kind of a, a question mark of who really is making the decisions this offseason, factor in that, but also what happened, you know, the reports at the trade down that you made, what do you see as the future for KP? Like, is he still on the, the market? Is that what you're he hearing around the league? Do you, do you expect him to be on the Mavericks next year? I think, you know, what I reported was – something that the Mavericks obviously didn't want to come, come out publicly. And I think that's a big theme between that story and Tim's story that Cuban went on the record pretty quickly saying that this was false and, you know, talk to anybody on the league I mean, multiple, multiple teams, the Mavericks called them gauging interest on Kristaps. And I think, you know, obviously that creates news. That's why I wrote it being that anytime a team is willing to trade a 25 year old, I'm not willing to trade, but at least open to listening to offers and have discussions on 
a 25 year old former all-star who they gave up multiple first round picks with to be the running mate to a generational player. That's news. So, I mean, I think also, and not in hindsight, just in general, also you got to give credit to that, whatever is happening in Dallas front office to actually have the, the guts to do that being that a, a big criticism that a lot of executives around the league end up getting is holding on to their guys too much and overvaluing their guys and not willing to discuss. Like at the end of the day, Kristaps is not the same player pre that meniscus injury in the bubble. And any smart, frugal, pragmatic front office, they're not doing their job if they're not poking their ear out there and seeing what they could get back for someone who was playing beneath their expectations. You know, maybe another team values this guy more than you do and you can get something back. You know, where they go from here, I don't know, being that that bloated contract has three years left or whatever it is. It's multiple years. And it's going to be difficult for the same reasons they want to trade him. It's going to be difficult for getting a buyer interested in taking him on. I think one idea I pitched around this week to a bunch of executives is some type of situation with um, OKC with Al Horford. Um, that seems to be a pretty clean opportunity and it would be a type of guy that, you know, could at least bring some type of stability defensively on the inside. Um, I'm not saying he's the answer, but it's at least like a, a contract that matches up um, similarly with Perzingis' value who probably, um, you know, could play a role. And he, uh, he's obviously getting older, but he didn't play half this year, so he's probably got some miles left on those legs. <laughs> Um, and again, I'm not reporting saying that they're had, they've had conversations with Al Horford, but I think that's that's the type of situation that you could see Kristaps leave. A, 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 a move that isn't necessarily like a grand slam home run for Dallas, but one that they wipe their hands clean. They do kind of get someone back who can contribute at a similar capacity this season, and they probably even have to attach a pick to get rid of his deal at this point also too. Man, to have Al Horford, just the, the sentence you just said of how Al Horford bring back similar production to Kristaps Porzingis is just wild to think of where we've been like in, with Kristaps Porzingis. But uh, let's go to our Michelob Ultra moment of the week. I think it's got to be Donnie Nelson. I don't know if it brings joy or or excitement for the for the fan base, but it is the biggest moment of the, of the week so far. Donnie Nelson and the Dallas Mavericks parting ways. That is our Michelob Ultra moment of the week. Let's go back to that moment. Uh, what are you hearing from from people? You said you talked to a bunch of people around the league. What are their thoughts about the Mavericks right now, like the state of the franchise now with, with Don Nelson, who's been with the franchise longer than Cuban? Like he started in, 90, in 98 with the franchise. Cuban bought the team in 2000. Like what are people saying about the Dallas Mavericks? Is it like, oh my gosh, here goes Cuban and, you know, the joke of a Mavericks going again. Like what what are the, the, the thoughts or I guess the vibes around the, around, uh, the league right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously they made a big show of announcing or, or, or letting Mark Stein and Tim McMahon in on their hiring the search firm, but there's a lot of thought from people I've talked to. Who's going to want that job? Who's going to want to take the job that – I mean, look how it ended with for Diane Nelson. That's potentially an ending for them too. So I'm, I'm curious where that can actually go, like, like who can actually be someone to take in that spot. You know, do they just promote someone – um, internally, do they bring on someone who, you know, is looking for an opportunity that is willing to do that? I mean, these types of concessions happen all the time, and there, there's all these speculations and rumors. Pretty much any time an executive or a coach gets hired, there's there's usually some condition that they agreed to that another guy wouldn't typically. Um, so you know, maybe maybe they are looking to find someone who 
and, and by those conditions, you know, I mean, sometimes like that's, oh, well, the equipment staff, like they're our guy, like he can't go anywhere, that type of stuff. Yeah. But sometimes that ranges too. Harrell Bob is going to be very involved. Like that's a situation where, you know, sometimes a GM gets hired, but the owner says, but you got to hire this guy to be my, your assistant GM too. And that's, that's a perilous situation. So that that's the one big thing I've heard come back this week so far is, if they are going to hire somebody and not just give the whole keys to Haralabob, who is willing to come into a situation where there is a quote unquote shadow GM already sitting there in place? Uh, you said giving the keys to Haralabob sent chills up my spine. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> not sure I'm ready for that whole situation. Uh, there you go. That's the Ultra moment of the week. Uh, I guess it brought joy, happiness, and enjoyment to some people. There's a lot of people in the Mavs fan base that wanted Donnie Nelson to be gone. So this moment is only for you guys. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. Uh, Michelob Ultra, go get you some today. <laughs> All right, Isaac Harris, we are joined by Jake Fisher. Bleach Report, again, the book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, let's focus on, uh, so we've been talking about Donnie Nelson, Christoph Porzingis a little bit. And then now let's let's shift over to Rick Carlisle. So uh, you reported a little while ago that, quote, Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle is another long-term coach who's been rumored to have an eye on Milwaukee's potential opening. It seems like after Kevin Durant's insane game five, it seems like the, the nail has been like drove into the coffin for Coach Bud up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, what are your thoughts on Rick Carlisle, the Bucks, uh, where they stand now, especially now that Donnie Nelson is, is out with the Mavericks? Yeah, I mean, as Tim wrote in The Athletic, there's been talk for a while that there's tension between Rick and Luca, And, you know, as much as he's been Cuban's guy long, long, long term here, like we said, you know, they haven't, they haven't made it out of the first round since 2011. At a certain point, even, you know, the greatest coach in franchise history, at a certain point, you got to get held accountable. I mean, we see it in college all the time. We see it in the situation. You know, great, respected coach, but at, at a certain point, um, just hasn't really, you know, gotten to the level of success that you would like. So I think, you know, it makes sense that, and I do think that, you know, with everything that's been happening in that franchise, like it's only smart for someone like Rick to keep an eye out for the future. Um, and you know, I'm not, obviously this is a pretty tenuous situation being that the, the Bucks job is not open yet. And Rick is employed by Dallas, but um, there's been, it's been exactly. And um, you know, and the head this of the stuff coach happens all the time. Like there's been, speculation about Chauncey Billups being Terry Stotts' replacement in Portland for a year. Like at the end of the day, the NBA is a business and an ecosystem and everyone in it is, a, is an independent actor and they all have their own agenda in play. And you hope that as a franchise, your head coach and your front office and your players agendas all line up at the same time when you win a title, but pretty typically it's not how it works out. So I think it's only fair for a head coach who knows the superstar, doesn't necessarily love working with him, and is very, very close to Jamal Mosley. Um, you know, it only makes sense that that guy would start to look elsewhere and see, you know, try to read the tea leaves and what opportunity could be open for him if that change were to happen. I know we're about to shift uh, solely to your book, which I'm fascinated with your book, by the way, the idea of tanking. And I've, we have argued on this podcast yeah. for so long. Uh, our, our first two years were the two years that the Mavs tanked. So of this podcast, so <laughs> of this, like, yeah, pro tanking and just all this stuff and the effect of tanking on like young players, you know, 
their development in the league and everything. But real quick, my last question to you is, and if if you, if it's nothing, then no big deal. Is there is there anything else around the Mavericks that you're hearing right now outside of Rick in Milwaukee, outside of the front office, just moving into this offseason, whether it's a, a player out there that they could be interested in in free agency, whether it's something with their own roster, just a broad, open question. Anything else about the Mavs? I think there's expectation that they're going to try to make a play in the front court. I mean, that's been, I think, part of the conversation with Chris Tapps, too. They were linked to John Collins for a while. And there's, there's also some Rashawn Holmes talk. I think their priority is going to be to try to re-sign Tim Hardaway. Um, but from there, I think they also have some cap space to play and try to make a move at someone who can really solidify the front court. Be a partner for Luca there, but they also need to, well, they need to improve this roster. That's like the expectation I think from everyone around the league that they're going to try to make moves on the margins and improve and. Obviously, the Josh Richardson deal didn't work out. Like they need to, they need to really supply Luca with a sufficient supporting cast. That um, you know, there's a lot of question marks on who who will actually be back on that team. It's wild that now we're in a spot where you have Luka Doncic, top five player in the NBA. He's 22 years old, and all of a sudden, the GM or the president of basketball operations doesn't want to be there anymore. The coach is looking at other jobs. Like it's just so wild to me, Isaac, that. Um, <laughs> this, like that all of a sudden this franchise is in this spot. I'm curious what both of you guys think about um, the state of the Mavericks and how do they, will they have to overcome Mark Cuban or they have to overcome some of this dysfunction uh, and how wild it is that they have Luca and yet it still is, is this spot. I don't think it's necessarily that wild that this is happening while they have Luca. I think, I think that it's a chicken and egg type situation, right? Where, you have this superstar, this generational superstar, by all accounts, everyone across the board agrees, right? There's no one who's down in Luka Doncic. So I think that puts the pressure on everybody involved to maximize him right away. And when you do that and you fail, or at least fall short of advancing, I think that that, that puts a microscope on you know the entire situation and brings out all the drama and all the infighting, and, and it puts a spotlight on everything. So I think I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, it, it's just crazy to me that, that yeah, it is, I guess it is a, it's a chicken and egg type scenario because now all of a sudden the pressure's heated up. When the Mavericks were, were tanking or the Mavericks didn't have any expectations, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're, we can keep Rick for a while. Don Nelson, that trade didn't work out. That's fine. And now all of a sudden here we are. Um, man, did, did Haralabob just start all this? It seems, <laughs> it seems like all of a sudden you bring that guy in and everybody's making, including myself, the little finger memes. But it seems to be that's uh, that's kind of what sparked all this or what was the, the nail in the coffin for a couple of, of guys here. So, uh, all right, coming up, we'll get into the book. There's a couple of cool things from the book that we want to talk about with Jake Fisher about. Uh, the Mavericks preventing the Hawks from drafting Giannis. That is a, a fascinating story that I want to hear about. And then also some draft details about Kristaps Porzingis. We'll get into more of that coming up. But before we do, got to talk about rockauto.com. There's so many different places to get car parts right now. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain store to have all the parts that you need. So why would you want to spend so much more time 
spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership where you can just get them at rockauto.com. For example, there's a Honda Odyssey fuel pump. You get you can get it for $353 from a chain store or you can go to rockauto.com and get it for 216 bucks. You save all that money and you can buy things like Jake Fisher's book or you can buy all, all kinds of other stuff. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? They know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Also, I want to tell you about betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to put down some money on sports. The Donnie Nelson news happened so fast. I don't think they had lines on who was going to get fired or which GM was going to get fired, but they have all kinds of random lines all the time. They have a couple of special ones right now. They have a couple of coach odds right now. Boston Celtics next head coach Chauncey Billups plus 500 Carol Lawson plus 600 uh, Ime Odoka plus 700 Jason Kidd how is Jason Kidd's name still in every single coaching like search <laughs> plus 800 for him Sam Cassell plus 800 uh, Jamal Mosley from the Dallas Mavericks plus a thousand on that if you want to put some if you want to put some odds down on that uh, go ahead and go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN. Get a 50% welcome bonus to your first deposit at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Isaac, we're back with Jake Fisher. Let's get into some of the, the details from the book. All right, walk me through this. So you, you pitched this to me. How the, how Dallas prevented the Hawks from drafting Giannis? Just give it to me. <laughs> well, you know, in 2013, a lot of people had a, a beat on Giannis. I'd say most teams did. Um, you know, Philly sent some people there. Houston definitely was intrigued. Um, but, you know, very few execs knew what to make out of that grainy footage of him playing in like a middle school gym against short people, right? So Danny Ferry, the Hawks gym at the time, was very in on Giannis, though. He, I think, from all accounts, I mean, I, I talked to over 300 people for this book, players, agents, coaches, executives, Man. got a pretty good pulse on the situation. Um, and you know, I got a ton of original reporting and details like this. That's all throughout it. So if, if you find this story interesting, you know, there's a hell of a lot more inside. But you know, Danny Ferry did everything he could to to, to draft Giannis and make him an Atlanta Hawk. They had the 17th and 18th picks in 2013, and he thought that'd be enough ammo. He packaged those two picks up. They could probably trade up into the early teens and get Giannis. So you know, they were all in with his agency and they were trying to shut him down. They couldn't do that. But Danny Ferry did manage the, the Hawks were the only team to host the honest pre-draft. It was a secret though. They didn't want any team out there to know. They didn't even put him up in a hotel. They had Giannis stay at Danny Ferry's house with his brother. Oh, come on. They had dinner at the kitchen table. They had Italian food takeout with Danny Ferry's wife and his kids. And they brought him into Phillips arena and Giannis is like crying tears with Danny Ferry's wife and his kids. And they brought him into Phillips Arena, and Giannis is like crying tears of joy, like, oh, my God, this could be my life. But Milwaukee wanted him at 15, of course. So the Mavs were trying everything – or the Hawks were trying everything they could to trade up, and they just couldn't get any higher possibly than 13. But Dallas, you know, they were being coy the whole time. They kept saying, you know, we're not really too interested in trading this pick, but – Behind the scenes, what was actually happening was Dallas was trying to clear the books for 2014 to make that run at free agency the following summer for LeBron and Melo and that whole group. They didn't want to take on Atlanta's 17th and 18th picks, let alone just their 13th pick, and take on another guaranteed contract. They wanted to clear their books and make a big run in free agency. And the, the Hawks had no idea. They were trying and trying and trying to get him. And the, the Mavs just kept saying, you know, we're not really too interested. We think we're going to make this pick. 
So when the Mavericks do select Kelly Olynyk just to trade him to Dallas, the Hawks were absolutely devastated. Like you could hear a pin drop in that front in that war room. You know, <laughs> someone told me it was in that war room that like a lot of people had difficulty moving on with the draft in that point. But they thought they had Giannis falling for them, and he is off the board. They were distraught. It's all because Dallas wanted to swing that deal for Kelly Olynyk and to get off that pick and not you know, have guaranteed money on their books that the Hawks weren't able to trade up and Giannis was not in Atlanta. And I'm looking at the draft right now. So, yeah, uh, Kelly Olenek goes 13 to Dallas. You have uh, Shabazz Muhammad go 14 to, to the Jazz. And then Milwaukee picks Giannis at 15. Uh, Nugera goes to Boston at 16. Then it's Dennis Schroeder at 17. That's not a bad pick. And then 18 was the Shane Larkin pick. And we know how that ended up in Dallas too. So, interesting, fascinating that the Mavericks just sort of played – uh, the Hawks there. <laughs> well, yeah, it, ended up, it ended up kind of becoming like a three-team deal where Bebe goes back to yeah. Atlanta and, and Shane goes to Dallas. Yeah, I mean, that, that's credit to Donnie Nelson and the stuff he came to be known for over his tenure there. Some shrewd negotiating. I mean, obviously, when they, they moved up to get Luca, like that's the kind of stuff that Donnie was known to do on the draft night. That story makes me feel worse than it did, that would have like two days ago. <laughs> I think about the Mavericks. And it's stories like this in your book that I think is so fun for fans, you know, to know about because even in the summary of your book, it says you reported in, in hundreds of interviews with top players, coaches, and executives. You chronicle secret pre-draft workouts, feuding between player agents and executives, surprising trade negotiations, interpersonal conflicts, uh, organizational power struggles, everything in, in a book like this. Are you talking about this, the Mavericks last week? Or are you talking about like, all those think, things apply to this team? I think Jake could just write a book on today. And just today, <laughs> this is Jake's uh, uh, this next book that's coming out. But let me ask you a broad question about your book. What, what surprised you the most when writing this story? Was there something that, whether it's a specific story or a broader concept, what surprised you the most when putting this book together? I think working on this, you know, I wanted to compare and contrast a lot of different teams. Like, like Philly is the poster child for tanking, right? But Rob Hennigan was in Orlando and trading Dwight Howard away. And, and Ryan McDonough was trying to do the same rebuild in Phoenix until, you know, they end up surprisingly winning 48 games. And Boston, when they move on from KG and Paul Pierce that very night, 2013 in the draft, the same night that Sam Hankey traded Drew Holiday. So all these analytical mind executives were trying to, you know, punt a couple of years and, and, and really, really value that 2014 class that was considered to be the best class since 2003 and who was running the league at that time, but Miami that had three guys from that top five in that other three class. So I think what I've learned from that, this reporting the most, and it's, we're seeing it still carry out today is that the league has transitioned into a star hunting game. And the, the other aspect of that is that these players all have as much agency as ever and executives are so fully aware of how their team building is being evaluated on Twitter. And, you know, I think the, I think social media has streamlined the conversation to the point where the NBA is just churning at this narrative cycle where, you know, everyone involved is trying to do what they can to paint it in their favor. That's why we see Mark Cuban quote tweet Tim's articles saying total bullshit. Like he was quoted in the article. So, I mean, it's, it's all about the story and the narrative and the headline and, you know, I think that is ultimately the thing I've always learned. I've always been learning throughout my career is that the NBA is very little about the actual basketball. There's so much more at play between uh, outside of 48 and zero on the clock. So that lesson, I think, really gets 
pinpointed home in, in this story as you see agents, you know, starting to steer their clients away from certain teams during the draft and coaches and front offices disagreeing. I mean, the, the, the palace entry within the Kings I cover in the book is absolutely bonkers. Like it just, it, at a certain point, like winning a championship is so hard and, you know, a lot of teams don't make it any easier by all the crazy, the craziness that goes on inside them in the pursuit of that championship. And that's why you have podcasts like this one to break it all down and figure out whose narrative is what. That's exactly why. Uh, last thing here, you, you mentioned KP draft details. So a couple things about Chris Porzingis getting drafted. Let's take me back to that 2015 draft and Chris Porzingis going for Phil Jackson, all that. I have to go way back. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're going to start talking about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, just like we mentioned, agents and, and, and feuding with executives, you know, Sam Hinkie was really intrigued by Christoph Porzingis. I don't think they definitely were going to take him, but he was someone that that front office had a lot of interest in. But Andy Miller was Christoph's agent at the time. He's now representing Chauncey Billups and Tyron Lue and Nick Nurse and all these coaches. Um, you know, he also represented New Orleans and knew that that situation was pretty tenuous and, and, and didn't go so hot and this whole losing environment, you know, plus stacking a bunch of your players who kind of play the same position wasn't of interest to Andy Miller. And Kristaps wanted to be in New York as well. So when they had their pre-draft workout, um, their, their, their pro day, if you will, at Impact in Las Vegas, you know, ASM, Andy's agency, they refused to let Hinky even talk to Pazingas. And they tried to, <laughs> really tried to, uh, try, they tried to book him for a workout and they always said no. There's one time that, Andy allowed um, Sam to schedule a meeting with Porzingis in New York, but then he canceled it as Hinky was on his way up there saying, saying that Porzingis has food poisoning. And I, I, <laughs> I talked, I talked to KP. It was last, it was, I believe January of 2020, like right before either that or February, like right before the pandemic. And um, he was in New Orleans on the road and he had his feet in his ice, in ice bucket sitting in his locker and he was just canned like you know my people just wanted me to go to wanted me to go to New York and I did too so I didn't really have any complaints I just did what they told me to do so and- so did he eat something bad on purpose to get food poisoning or are you saying are you calling him a, a liar I think Andy Miller was was flipping was, uh, yeah. was there was he at a eating pizza in Utah or <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, they had the promise from Phil Jackson from pretty early in the get-go. Orlando really wanted him at five too, and they were hoping KP would stay in the draft in 2014. They wanted to take him at number 12, but he pulled out thinking he could rise up the 2015 rankings. And sure enough, he did. And he went four and it was even, but even after everything that they did and Andy Miller did, there was still a fear that Philly could have taken him at three and called their bluff anyway. But, Andy Miller and Kristaps won in the end, and obviously he ended up engineered his way to New York, which turned him into the All Star that Dallas wanted to trade for. That he is currently not playing like. So, oh, he got it. He had to end oh, it like Jake. that. The parting shot just went uh, for the heart. By the way, I'm looking back at that draft. Uh, Towns goes number one. D'Angelo Russell number two. They're on the same team now. Yep. Uh, Jaleel Okafor went three to the Sixers. If, you, if everybody Ooh. remembers that, that one went not well. Porzingis to the Knicks. Mario Hazonia to the, the Magic at five. Willie Colley Stein six to Sacramento. Emmanuel Moutier, where's that guy? Uh, pick seven to the Nuggets. Stanley Johnson to Detroit. Frank Kaminsky, that pick that was <laughs> they were going to trade to Miami. Uh, Justice Winslow to Miami. Miles Turner, Indiana. Devin Booker to uh, the six to the uh, Suns at thirteen. That draft is 
all over the place, which a lot of them are, but that one is and, and Listen, Devin Booker told me on the record in the book that the Jazz wanted him at 12, and he refused to go work out for Utah. It was the only team he refused to not work out for. And he told me, you know, it's Utah. I didn't really think that jive with my lifestyle. So you know. can't, can't wait for those conference finals. Yeah, exactly. So, do you want us to get you booked on Locked On Jazz next to tell that, to tell that story? <laughs> Let's do it. I'm down. I'm down to talk about anybody and and talk to anyone about about this book. There you go, Jake Fisher. Again, the book is built to lose how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever go check it out go google it just go to jake's twitter we'll put a link in the description of this podcast thanks so much for listening to lockdown maps so oh. um i think part of his maturity is again knowing um you know knowing how to balance you know those all those kill shots you know, with, um, you know, involving teammates, you know, at the right time. That's just part of the maturity process. And I think um, as we move forward that you'll see, I think, more of an inclusive effort um, overall on those fronts.